this is no offense to my parents whatsoever because they had just lost their son and they were doing the best they could. But I felt that they had all of that going on and that I just wanted to run. I just wanted to escape. I couldn't sit there and watch the pain of them having lost my brother and then try to separate my own pain and deal with that. I was too young. I, I just didn't know what to do. It was like the ultimate, what you never imagine will happen to you happens. And then what do you do? So everybody else was going away to college. And I just thought, well, if I can get out of here and I don't have to see it and I, maybe I won't have to feel it, then I'll just run. And that's ultimately what I did for several, several years leading up to and even after my mom's death was just run away from the reality of my pain. Welcome to And Then Everything Changed, a podcast about the pivotal moments in life and decisions that define us. I'm your host, Ronit Plank. Today, my guest is Ashley Brown. She's a student at Georgia College and State University and will be writing a memoir in the near future. Welcome, Ashley. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm so glad you're here. So we met because I had a guest who's a friend of mine on my show for episode two, Jason Allen, who is actually your teacher or has been your writing teacher. Is that right? Right. He just taught a um, creative writing nonfiction class last semester at Georgia College, and I was lucky enough to learn under him. Right. And I went to the same master's program as Dr. Allen, and we, you and I have been talking about what a small world it is. And I actually emailed uh, Dr. Allen, who I call Jason. <laughs> when you call him Dr. Allen, I always have to remind myself. <laughs> Right. He asked me to call him Jason now, too, that he's not teaching me. So I'm trying to work through that. <laughs> <laughs> That's a funny one, right? Like when you when you get old enough that your teachers, you're supposed to call them by their first name and things like that when you're right. When you're becoming, yeah, it's kind of strange. But anyway, we were talking about what a small world it is and that you and I got connected and that you have such a fascinating story and a hard story, but one that Dr. Allen sort of encouraged you to tell and one that you felt really inspired to share once you realized what his background was. So can right. you talk a little bit about, you know, how you decided to take his class and how that went? Right. Well, I've always been really intrigued um, with reading and writing and writing has always been like a passion for me. It's been a great form of expressionism. And I um, am a non-traditional student. I'll be 32 this year in December. And i um, for a while, college was just completely not on my radar. I graduated high school in 2007. And unfortunately, my senior year, my younger brother, Gabe, passed away in an ATV accident. Um, he had just turned 13 a month before. Mm -hmm. um, and that was the year I was set to go to college. So I, of course, did what I thought I was supposed to do, packed up my stuff, went to college, and just found it completely unfathomable to cope with this amount of grief and trying to obtain a higher education. So I left college and I ultimately went to live with my mom and tried to take care of her work with her through her grief. And she unfortunately committed suicide in July of 2011, four years after my brother had passed away. Um, my mom was only 45 years old. And so that just completely took my legs out from under me. That was the two, two out of the three people, including my father, in my life that had just been taken from me so immediately. And 
from there, I kind of um, lost myself uh, very deeply into a web of coping with drugs or alcohol or just not doing much to be a productive human being for a while. And um, about six years ago, I met my girlfriend, uh, Macy, and she and I um, would talk about school and her plans to go back to college. And I just felt like I had missed that boat, you know, like I was too old. Um, I wasn't smart enough. I wasn't, you know, I just had too much baggage and I just didn't think it was possible. Um, she really kind of pushed me and saw potential in me. Um, and I returned back to college at Georgia Military College in March of 2017. And surprise, surprise, I got my associates in May <laughs> of 2019. I got accepted to Georgia College uh, in August. And now I have back to back 4.0 president's list semesters and have just been accepted into a leadership certificate program. And with all that being said, thank you so much. With all that being said, I was lucky enough to be enrolled into one of uh, Jason Allen's courses last semester, which was a nonfiction course. And, you know, he kind of started the semester off by giving us a little taste of his background and, you know, his trajectory of life and how he came to be an educator and what he had to overcome and now he went back to school as a non-traditional student after mm-hmm. overcoming a lot of grief and loss and tragedy. So I felt the most like aha moment of this guy is doing exactly what I want to do, what I've always wanted to do, which is to write and to put mm-hmm. my story out there and to have people read my words because I think words are the most therapeutic thing that a person has, whether it's spoken word or written word. I just think it has so much power to to change other people's lives. And he was embodying that in front of me. So I'm trying to follow that same path myself. Mm-hmm. When you were a student, when before the tragedy of losing your brother, did you see yourself as someone who was going to pursue writing? Yeah, I always had it in my mind since I was little. I would doodle little poems or write little short stories. And I always told myself, I just want to write a book. I feel like the most, like some girls love to go to the mall or wherever, but I feel like this love of libraries and bookstores. And I just yearn to see my face on the back of a book cover and for (laughs) someone to be buying my story and to be enjoying it and to be fulfilled through my words. I've always wanted that my entire life, but I always felt like it was sort of a pipe dream. Mm. Did you have support from your parents? Were your parents married? Um, my stepfather uh, began, he married my mom when I was uh, three or four. So he's always raised me. Um, and he was the father of my brother that passed away. But um, yeah, they were always encouraging. And my mom would read my stories and laugh. And they mm-hmm. always both encouraged me to follow poetry. And when my brother passed, They allowed me to write a eulogy and to read poetry at his um, funeral. So that was a big moment for me, Um, a very hard, difficult moment, but one that I value now looking back because it showed me that I can use my words to express myself even in, you know, my biggest heartache moments. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and so it sounds like you were on the path to go to college. You were, I I assume you were about 18 years old or were you about five years different? Yeah. Yeah. About, I was uh, 18 at the time. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm so sorry that you lost your brother. I have a sister and I, I can't imagine. Was he your only sibling? 
Uh, yes. I will. I have uh, siblings, extended family on my biological father's side, but it was the sibling that I had grown up in the house with that I had known, you know, my whole entire life since the day he was born. Mm-hmm. And so when that happened, what was home like for you in the aftermath of that accident? What, and, and I don't know if you were present in, in your mind at that point, or if things were so, I don't know, did you feel like you were in your body after he passed or was home surreal? It was a really surreal experience. Um, in general, I felt like my parents, my mom, my stepdad, which I consider him to be my father, he's raised me my whole life, but, um, they were in the process of splitting up, um, before his accident. So after he passed away, the grief, you know, kind of pulled them apart. Um, even more so they went their separate ways. And for me, it was just this, like, I didn't know what to do with myself, let alone how to cope now with, okay, my parents are splitting up. I'm supposed to go off to college. Like there's all this change happening, but like, not just minor changes, like world shattering change. And I felt very out of control and angry and just not motivated, really. When I moved off to college at Georgia Southern in Statesboro, Georgia, um, a few months later, I just was not at all interested Mm -hmm. in doing school. I couldn't identify anymore with my best friends who were also excited and wanted to go party and hang out. I just wanted to sit alone and, you know, just grieve, I guess. Looking back is that's what I was doing. I just thought I was feeling sorry for myself, but it was just a grief process. Well, who was there for you um, during this time? I mean, I'm trying to, I'm trying to understand, did you, did you feel that college was where you needed to go? And did your family that was around suggest that you keep on keeping on or how, how did the decision to go happen? I think honestly, like, this is no offense to my parents whatsoever because they had just lost their son and they were doing the best they could. But I felt that they had all of that going on and that I just wanted to run. I just wanted to escape. I couldn't sit there and watch the pain of them having lost my brother and then try to separate my own pain and deal with that. I was too young. I I just didn't know what to do. It was like the ultimate, what you never imagine will happen to you happens and then what do you do? So everybody else was going away to college. And I just thought, well, if I can get out of here and I don't have to see it and I, maybe I won't have to feel it, then I'll just run. And that's ultimately what I did for several, several years leading up to and even after my mom's death was just run away from the reality of my pain. Mm-hmm. Did you have anyone, you mentioned you had friends at college. Did you have anyone who you talked to during this time? Uh, you know, I understand why you ran away. I, I can see, and I don't even see it as running away. Actually, I don't even want to say that. I I can see why you went to college. Um, I can understand how there would feel like there was nothing to stay for and, and how it would be so difficult, especially if parents are in their grief and they can't, it sounds like, be there for your grief. Right. And again, like, uh, that's not to say they weren't there for me. It was just, I was very closed off with my pain. I didn't want to talk about it with them. I didn't want to sit around and all of us have this moment where we put all of our feelings out on the table. And after my mom's suicide, I looked back and I realized that was a big thing she lacked is not having that emotional connection with me 
to share the grief of my brother. I instead closed them out, um, which I regret so much, but you learn more as you grow older. I was 18, now I'm 31. But I had a great support system of friends um, and family. I mean, like I said, my friends and family were all there for me. I had a great group of friends that most of us all went to the same college and they did their best. But again, we're 18 years old. Mm, yeah. We're all trying to figure ourselves out and move with this big change of college itself. And I kind of, again, just shut everything in for a long time because I just didn't want to be that emotional burden. This is supposed to be a big, exciting moment. So I just tried to, I guess, play pretend and join in on that. And I ended up dropping out of school, like I think a week and a half into it. I went to the dean and explained my situation and they were gracious enough to suspend my GPA so that it didn't hurt me at all. Um, Looking back, I probably shouldn't have gone. It was a big waste of money um, and time because I ended up staying there in the college town for a while, like longer than I should have, just because I was too scared Mm -hmm. to go back and face everything that I had left back at home. Mm -hmm. Did you, as a kid also, was this the first time that you had kind of kept your feelings under under wraps or was that something that you had done as a kid too before the tragedy I feel like I remember my mom always being really upset with me that I was so closed off um I think now as an adult you can ask my girlfriend or any of my friends and family like I cry at Kleenex commercials <laughs> I can't watch any kind of America's Got Talent or anything where someone's chasing their dream, I'm like a weeping willow. But when I was younger, Mm -hmm. I was very much like, oh, no one understands me, closed off. And that may be the stereotypical, like angsty teenager, but I was not very forthright with my feelings. And I think my Mm -hmm. mom really tried to get me to, to open up and to express myself rather than just let it bottle up and then lash out. But I don't think I was very good connecting with my feelings. So I just, I honestly channeled all of that into writing. I had books and books and books full of poems and stories and just thought like stream of consciousness just to get it out. If I was angry or upset or sad or even happy, I would write it and then tuck it away and it would be out of me. Mm-hmm. Right. So there wasn't a connection point exactly with your mom during these years. There was, it was, uh, it's hard to look back. Like she wanted so bad for me to open up and connect with her, but I don't know why I was the way I was. Um, just very closed off. Like Mm -hmm. she would try and try to talk to me and open me up. And I just, you don't understand me, you know, just that, like, keep it to yourself kind of attitude. Yeah. So when you, when you stayed in your college town longer, you said, than you think you should have, what made you leave and where did you go after that? Well, um, I realized that I was just, you know, essentially bankrupting my parents, like just taking endless amounts of money to pay for my rent there, uh, my living expenses when I I wasn't even in school anymore. And they kept telling me, you know, like, you kind of got to make a decision here. We can't just keep funneling you money. So I would get an odd job here or there in the town and just make just enough money to just eat. Not, I mean, I was a college student. I had no qualifications. I had nothing um, to earn income. Um, So my mom, during this period, her and my dad had split up and she was living on her own now. And I felt like that was just such a big change for her from going from 
you know, a mom and a wife to, okay, my youngest child has passed away. My oldest child is now off at college. And she would just call and she would be so upset and just mourning the loss of my brother and essentially the loss of me because I wasn't there with her. And so I just started feeling this pull of like obligation to leave there and to go move in with her so that she didn't feel alone. Mm -hmm. But the thing was, I still wasn't emotionally open. So I think she still did feel alone ultimately, Mm -hmm. Um, even though she had family and friends, of course. But um, I think she really needed me to share that grief with her. And I, for whatever reason, wasn't able to do that. Mm-hmm. So then you you move back in and you're living with her. And, and I was going to ask that. It sounds like she did have some people around her that she could talk to and people who cared about her. So it wasn't just on you. Right. Yeah. No, it wasn't. It's, that's something I think I still struggle to work through is my responsibility in allowing her to feel lonely, even though I know she had um, groups that she had started joining. She had coworkers and friends and she had a lot of support. But I think the more I've researched and learned about suicide, the more I've realized that you can have a million people in a room with you and still in your mind, whatever issue you're dealing with is bigger than that room of people. Mm -hmm. So it's, it sounds just like you were talking about struggling a little bit, would the right way to say it be to let yourself off the hook a little bit? Yes. Um, And I still feel that guilt of, well, if I would have just opened up more or gone to her and said, hey, I'm really missing Gabe today, you know, and same with my dad. We just, I didn't feel comfortable, I guess, because of my age, maybe my maturity level. I didn't feel comfortable in bringing that subject up because I knew it would come with a lot of feeling and I did not mm-hmm. like to be vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Right. And I, I do think that that's kind of a lot on your shoulders too. Do you, do you see it that way at all? I mean, when I discuss it with other people, everyone's always like, wow, like, you know, you went through that at a very early age and then your mom committed suicide and you're really hard on yourself for those, what I like to call the bad years where I just kind of spiraled and went off the deep end. But I guess like when it's your own life, it's hard to see it as, oh, that's a lot on you rather than Mm -hmm. you probably could have handled that better. Mm -hmm. I think that also could be something very telling about you, which might be as I'm getting to know you a little bit, that you feel that being strong or taking care of what you need to take care of is the most important thing. Yeah, I can see that about myself. Yeah. And I think that, um, you know, it's interesting in memoir, um, because as you read more and more and learn more and more, and I'm, you know, I'm still in the process of it myself, but that oftentimes it's not, it's not what happened to you, but what your reaction to what happened to you was and who you were. And so in writing a book about a childhood experience or a young adult experience, sometimes it's hard to understand because we think that we did what anybody would do, but you took on things in a way that other people might not have, you know, which makes you who you are. And so it is very telling about who you are, which is why I think people read memoir in part, not just to hear a story of what happened, but of what someone did with what happened to them. Right. Exactly. Yeah. What I want to do is to 
maybe when I get it all down in a book, I think it will be therapeutic for me um, to relive those moments and kind of, like you said, dissect it in a way to see how would other people have handled this and maybe give myself more credit. Right. And that's, of course, that's your own journey. And I don't at all mean to be prescriptive because who knows what they're doing ever. And we are all trying to figure things out (laughs) and everything is an opinion, right? Right. But, you know, I'm wondering, are you able to talk at all about losing your mother? Um, Yeah, I think that um, I have a, I I constantly probably bring that up more than I should. Um, I have developed a really close relationship with her sister, my aunt Tracy, and I bounce things off of her. Like if I'm angry or upset um, because they were extremely close and I'll bring up things to her that I probably wouldn't bring up to other people just because she understands, I guess, like how I word things or how I'm having like an emotional, emotional reaction that day. And instead of feeling like judged or like, Oh, you shouldn't be feeling that she'll, kind of like agree with me or be like, yeah, I understand why you're bitter. I'm also angry or today I'm also sad or today I thought of this funny memory. Um, I bring it up, you know, to my girlfriend, to my best friends, like to really everyone. Now I I feel like I've gotten more comfortable the older I've gotten in bringing it up and discussing it because um, holding it in did nothing for me. Mm -hmm. Were you living with her when she when she became a victim of suicide? Um, no, actually I had decided, I think it was, I mean, my timeline is all skewed, but I think it was like a year or so before that I had decided to move to Atlanta with a friend of mine, um, and her boyfriend, just because I wanted to see something different. Um, I grew up in middle Georgia and there was not a lot of excitement and I just wanted to go somewhere bigger Um, I was also struggling with my sexuality. Um, I identify as a lesbian, but at the time I just didn't want to put all that out there, I guess, in the small town that I was living in. So I wanted to go somewhere bigger, uh, figure out who I was as a person. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm also biracial. So I grew up biracial and gay in a very small Mm -hmm. Southern Mm -hmm. town. Um, so that was a lot of identity clashing. I also grew up with white, white mom my white stepfather, my white brother, and no, you know, identification for the African-American side of me. So it was just a a cluster going on in my head. And then I lost my brother. So I ran off to Atlanta again, running away um, and tried to do that whole thing. And yeah, I was working at a Ruby Tuesday in Atlanta. I was working a double that day. And I was on my break between shifts when my cousin called my friend and my roommate at the time to tell her because they didn't want to tell me directly. They just knew it was going to destroy me. So I can remember that very, very, very clearly. Mm -hmm. I can't imagine what that must've been like for you. Yeah. It was one of those moments that's like, I remember everything froze similarly to the situation with my brother, but this Weirdly, I remember having this internal monologue say, how can this be happening to me again? And why is it me? What, what am I doing to make this negative karma just crash on me over and over? It just felt like this very selfish moment of why me? Mm-hmm. It's, I mean, 
I'm just interviewing you and, and I by no means mean to alter the course of your story, but as a mom myself and as someone who experienced a less than straightforward family and someone who's been through a lot of therapy, I feel like I just want to tell you, uh, you know, I can't imagine the burden you, you put on yourself back then to think that you were selfish. Yeah, I guess I just, for a while, I couldn't even, I I, hate, I don't know, this sounds weird to say out loud, really, on such a public forum, but I, I couldn't even allow myself to be sad because I was so angry that it happened in general, that she did that, that, that her grief was so big that she felt that she couldn't bear it anymore. But now that, in turn, puts grief on me times two. Mm-hmm. And I just felt enraged and very, mm-hmm. again, why me? I was so confused about why everyone around me seemed to be having some form of quote unquote normal life. And I was just becoming a sob story. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So did you, did you go back? Did you move back or did you just visit home and then stay in Atlanta? No, I moved back home. I stayed in Atlanta for a little while longer. And then that's kind of where things went into a darker lane of trying to self-medicate with drugs or uh, extreme drinking or whatever the case may be. So I was like, okay, I need to move home. I need to be closer to my dad now. And my friends are all back home, um, you know, with the exception of the friend I was living with at the time. And I just wanted to reground myself, and it turned out to be ugh, like a very downward spiral of several years, um, probably two or three years of just not doing anything at all for myself that was positive. Mm-hmm. Do you do you see why though? Do you understand what was going on for you? Yeah, I I just, looking back, I was self-medicating. I was dealing with grief through trying to reach any state of not regular consciousness. I wanted to alter Mm -hmm. my reality in one way or another. I wanted to uh, escape any kind of responsibility. I didn't want to work. I didn't want to pay my bills. I didn't want to be a productive member of society. I you know, kind of push myself away from all of my friends, all of my family. I just completely holed up in this house, isolated myself from everyone that was good for me and mm-hmm. just threw a three-year pity party. Do you, do you, do you think you were in danger? I think that there were things that now I look back and realize that I yeah, I'm actually surprised that I was able to one day just magically snap my fingers and quit doing all of the destructive behavior and change my life in such a positive way. I, I think that people, I know my friends knew what was going on and they had several mini interventions, I guess you could call it, where they would say, you know, you have to do something else. You can't just keep living like this. You're not taking care of yourself. Like it's just very bad. Mm-hmm. My family would say the same thing, but I feel like I just didn't want to hear it. And now I look back and I think of some of the situations I put myself in and just how I was living in general. And it's just like, the only word I can think of is disgusting. Like, I just can't believe that I allowed myself to be 
that kind of person and to be that way. And I do think it was very dangerous. Like, I, I mean, I was not healthy. Mm. And were you living alone at that point? You said you were in a house. Were you living with people? Um, I had a few. Um, my roommate that or friend that I had lived with in Atlanta, she ended up moving back home with me. Um, we had been best friends since we were children, and she kind of wanted to look after me. Um, mm. She lived there for a while, then she eventually moved out. Um, then I had, you know, alternating roommates back and forth, but I would somehow kind of corral and convince anyone that came in my little um, whirlpool area, I guess, to spiral with me. I would, you know, like I would be the extrovert that I normally am and, you know, wrangle people in and let's have fun. It's just a party and we're just doing this recreationally or whatever the case may be. And just to constantly keep people there, but to just not feel like, okay, you're bad off because you're doing this alone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did your stepdad, who I know you call your dad, so I just want to clarify, I know that, but did your dad check in on you? Did you, were you ever able to hear what he was saying? Uh, yeah, I don't think he, maybe, I don't know if he knew exactly what was going on with me behind closed doors. I think I pulled so far away from him and I, he was also grieving um, very hard for the loss of his only son, you know, and I feel like I took advantage of the fact that he was so caught up in his own grief that I knew I would get by with a lot more because I could, you know, answer phone calls and yeah, I'm doing this or I'm doing this, but not really have to go into much detail. And I think not until the very end when I eventually had to move out of that house because I wasn't paying my bills. I wasn't keeping up with any kind of anything. And I had to move in with him because I had you know, I was at my wits end at that point. And I think maybe then he got a little glimpse of like, wow, like you've really, you know, mm-hmm. been doing a lot worse behind these closed doors than I thought. But I, I definitely made sure to keep a, a wall up to protect, I guess, him from knowing what was going on with me because I didn't want to be stopped. Right. And had you had any substance abuse issues prior to these losses in your life? No, I think, I mean, I, I was just always grew up just, you know, I would smoke weed or whatever, have drinks like with my friends in high school, like, you know, just be typical teenager running around doing things I shouldn't have been doing. But I had <laughs> never struggled in the way that I did um, after losing my mom. And I think it was just, I realized, okay, well, smoking a joint isn't going to do that much to me. And so I was like, well, I'll just try cocaine. And so then that becomes a thing where it's like at first recreational and then doing it by myself any time of the day. And then that's where that kind of just spiraled out of control. And I've never been a big drinker, but I would drink to essentially come down. So those two things paired together and just made like a hailstorm on my mental and physical health. Mm-hmm. You know, I interviewed recently um, Erica C. Barnett, whose memoir, Quitter, which is um, a memoir of relapse and recovery. She talks a lot about uh, rock bottom and how it doesn't, there really isn't, in her opinion, a rock bottom that in a lot of addiction stories we're used to as, as um when we consume these stories, we're waiting for the rock bottom moment where the person completely reforms, you know, whether it's alcohol or drugs. And that for her, she had a rock bottom and then she had another rock bottom and then she had another rock bottom. And so she thinks it's like a, it's, it's not a helpful term. Can you pinpoint what made you stop when you did? 
I think it was, I, I guess in my brain, I just knew like, okay, you can, if you keep doing what you're doing, you're going to move on to something else. And then those other things might be even more dangerous, even more unhealthy. And I just, I think also my girlfriend that ended up, you know, um, dating, she, you know, would say just little things here and there about, you know, like the kind of person she wanted to be with in the future and the goals that she had for herself. And I think like something started clicking for me, like, you know, this is somebody I really want to pursue. This is something that means a lot to me. And I have to get my act together. Essentially, I'm, I'm destroying myself. The people that care about me are going to eventually have to give up on me because I'm not listening or heeding their advice. And I think it just all kind of combined into a, I have to do better for me, for everyone around me that cares about me. And because I, I realized I was doing a disservice to my mom and my brother's memories. Right. Right. So then, so this all kind of sounds like it coalesced at a certain point. Right. And, and so did you make a change, a sharp change or did it gradually change for you? I would say it was fairly sharp. I, um, you know, like I said, I moved back in with my dad. I isolated myself away from like the behaviors and the circumstances that would allow me to do the bad things that I had been doing. And I feel like I just, um, the college thing was just still so out of the picture at that time, I was like, you know, I'll get a job. I'll wake up at a normal hour like everyone else in the world. I'll go be productive from eight to five and I'll pay my bills and I'll clean up my credit now. And I'll just start getting my life back together, like piece by piece. And, you know, um, the college thing just kept getting brought up. Um, that was something my girlfriend was interested in doing for herself. And I just kept saying, there's no way, like you can ask anybody that knows me, like it was like <laughs> Ashley Brown does not support college. Like I just was not <laughs> interested at all. And then one day I happened to be in um, Milledgeville, Georgia, which is where I live now, where the college is. Um, we were out at the lake and I just was looking at the campus on our drive back home. And just for whatever reason, I said, you know, I think if I could go to school here, I would go back to school. I think it's big enough that I would feel like I got that college experience that I missed out on, but small enough to not make me feel completely overwhelmed. Um, so I went home and just applied and everybody was kind of looking around at each other like, is she joking? Because she just <laughs> completely went 180 on this issue. Then when I got accepted, I just felt this like pride in myself of just, I've made the first step towards doing something for myself. And I saw how proud my dad was, my family, all of my friends, like everybody just really backed me up and made me feel like I was doing something that was just so awesome. And so I just went full force into that. Mm -hmm. And when was that, that you began again? Um, I started back at, uh, I think it was March of 2017. I mm -hmm. began my first semester at Georgia Military College in pursuit of my associates. And then once I knocked that out, uh, last May um, in 2019, I applied to the bachelor program at Georgia College and got accepted there. And yeah, that's what I'm doing mm -hmm. now. <laughs> and so do you also work? Um, yeah, I was uh, working uh, just up until the COVID stuff hit. And um, yeah. I was working as a server out at um, like golf course area out of town. But I um, gave that up uh, just a couple of weeks ago. I decided just not to go back. I wasn't really super comfortable with everything going on. I'm just a very anxious person. Like I have 
worries all the time. And I'm, I just, the thought of serving in that kind of environment, I just mm-hmm. wasn't ready to do that. And I recently got accepted into a leadership program with the school. Um, so I'm just going to kind of put all my eggs into that basket uh, for this upcoming semester. And I'll find another part-time job, you know, to get me through school until I graduate. Mm-hmm. It's it's interesting for me because you're. I know you've said to me that you feel so old for a student and yeah. you felt out of place going back. And, you know, I see you as still so young, which I know, I know from what you've said to me, I don't know that you would say that about yourself, but, you know, in a way it seems like you have a suspended young adulthood where you lost so much time. You lost it to grief and you lost it to another loss and you lost it to, uh, you know, drugs and, and alcohol. And it's almost like you lost so much time that I feel listening to your story that you're picking up where you left off. That's a good way to put it because I, I always say, I know that I'm 31 and my body definitely knows I'm 31. Um, but my mind, weirdly enough, and I've had this conversation with my therapist before, I feel like my mind kind of, like you said, picked right back up where I left off. Like sometimes I have to remind myself, you are much older. Like there's certain little things that I'll notice when I'm at school that like annoy me or bother me, or I would do this differently. And then I'm like, okay, that's my age showing. But for the most part, (laughs) I do feel like a standard college junior. And it's like, Mm -hmm. I think it's because I, like you said, I I did not have that same experience from 18 to 22 that everybody else had. I had grief stacked on more grief, stacked on poor coping mechanisms. And so by the time I went back to school in my late twenties, I was still mentally, you know, where I was before everything bad happened. Mm -hmm. Are you proud of yourself? Yeah, I can actually say I am now extremely proud of myself. I think one of my highlight moments that I felt like this rush of pride was, of course, getting back into school. And then in September of 2018, I entered this uh, ticket lottery for Saturday Night Live. They don't you know, sell their tickets, you have to enter this lottery. So I wrote a essay about my life and about the loss and about my sense of humor and writing and how I just kind of tied all that in. And actually won tickets to oh. their season premiere um, oh. in September of 2018. So my girlfriend and I had 10 days plan our first trip to New York City. We went and got floor seats at the live taping of the season premiere with Adam Driver as the host and Kanye West as wow. a musical guest. And I had this moment with all of my favorite comedians walking elbow to elbow with me, all of my favorite writers and producers. And I was just thinking to myself, this is a moment where had I stayed on the path that I was on with the drugs, with the the not grieving correctly, I would have never got to where I am now. But because of the power of my words and my ability to express myself through writing, I was able to be selected for something that people dream about their whole lives. It's such a rare opportunity. And I was living it. And I was so emotionally overwhelmed when we walked into that studio that I just cried and cried and cried and cried. And I just felt immense pride in myself. I felt like I had just picked myself up and not only just kept going, but I had really started to thrive. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, that's, a, that's a really amazing story that you got to go do that. Yeah, it was one of the highlights of my life for sure. Oh, 
Yeah. And you're talking about the way you were able to write. And it made me feel like something that I know other people have said and probably more eloquently, but it reminds me that writing gives us our stories back so we can tell them the way we want to tell them in a way that we hopefully understand better than maybe when they were happening to us. Right. Exactly. I totally agree with that. I think that the process of writing my memoir will be one that it's therapeutic for me, but also allows me to regain control of memories that I feel like sometimes I tell the story so often that maybe I tell it different one time than the next time. But I feel like writing it down allows me to sketch it all out in every possible form and really like look at it as a bigger picture. Mm-hmm. Yes. And you have perspective now. And also there's something too, I feel like there's like a safety to your life that maybe you didn't have in the same way years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think that years ago, I just didn't, I was alive, but I wasn't living, uh, if that makes any sense at all. I mm-hmm. didn't have any suicidal, suicidal desires or anything like that, but I had no desire to do anything at all that resembled a productive life. And now I feel like so secure and happy and protective of this new life that I've chosen to live. Mm-hmm. Do you have thoughts about, you know, in the time that we have left, are there any words you'd offer someone about grief that might be going through or or may in the future go through it? Is there anything you've learned that you feel like you can share about, you know, living through grief? Yeah, I absolutely think that it's important for people to realize that as uh, cliche as the saying, time heals all wounds is that ultimately if you seek therapy, even if you need to be on medication for a while, whatever the proper way to grieve is, that that is very important because time will not heal your wounds when you're self-medicating, when you're self-loathing, when you're spiraling in negative behavior. That's not going to allow time to do its job. You have to clear your head and give yourself self-love and respect and the correct way to maneuver through your grief. I think that grief sometimes makes you feel like nothing's ever going to get any better. It's like this pit of despair that you honestly Mm. feel like dirt is just piling on you. But I think it's so important for me and hopefully through my story, people can see that you truly will come out on the other side if you just give yourself some credit and some respect Mm -hmm. and a push. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And then on the note of um, on on using drugs or alcohol to numb or feel better, do you think anyone could have told you anything at the time that you were truly struggling with those substances that would have made you stop? Is like, is there any advice you can give to someone who's who's addicted or or abusing themselves that way? I think that. I want to say that there could have been some miracle thing that someone could have said, but I think it truly is just an internal um, decision that you have to decide that you're worth more than the negative behaviors that you're doing. I think you have to look in on yourself and decide like, is this the best that I have to give to myself? Is this the legacy that I want to leave in my life? Mm -hmm. Why am I doing the things I'm doing? And are there alternate ways that I can cope? that do not involve a self-destructive behavior. And then you have to decide that you are worth more and you have to put all your eggs in your own basket and persevere to get through those negative behaviors. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
I think that's really helpful. I, I, I think that both things that you just offered about grief and about uh, substances and, and hitting these low points could be very helpful to people. I, I really, I appreciate that. Um, Ashley, is there, is there a place where people who are wanting to follow you or your work can find you at this point? Um, I have social media and I have not posted or published any work yet. That's something that I hope to do um, after I get my degree and get a little bit more um, polished, I believe. Mm -hmm. Um, But I do have social media. So if anybody wants to follow there, I do from time to time post, you know, a poem here or there. Um, But my Instagram handle is a breezy, B-R-E-E-Z-Y, 1226. And then my Facebook, of course, is just my name, Ashley Brown, A-S-H-L-E-E-B-R-O-W-N. Okay, great. And you know, when your book is done, you are going to, I hope, come back onto the show (laughs) and we can talk about what that was like for you to write and share your good news and, and get people to read this. Yeah, that would be amazing. Yeah. I mean, I... I want to thank you for taking this time in this moment in time to share what you've been through and to so reflectively consider where you've been and and offer insight into how you've gotten to where you are. I really, really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I really, really appreciate the platform. Um, And I just want to say to anybody that's listening, if you or anybody that you know is struggling with suicide, to please look to the organization to write love on her arms. It's a nonprofit movement and it's uh, dedicated to presenting hope and it finds help for people that are struggling with uh, suicidal ideations. Mm, Thank you so much. Ashley, take really good care of yourself. Thank you again, Renee, for having me. I really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to And Then Everything Changed. For more on this episode and other interviews you might like, please visit atecpodcast.com. You can also find And Then Everything Changed on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And if you like this podcast, please do share it with your friends and take a minute and rate and review so that others can hear these stories too. Thanks for listening.